Welcome to another episode of From Concept to Company. On this show, we dive in deep with current and aspiring entrepreneurs to learn about their pain points, things they wish they knew before they started, and their successes to date. This week, we're excited to have Tim Fitzpatrick, a serial entrepreneur whose first brand grew 60% a year before being acquired in 2005. Tim's focus is on helping entrepreneurs simplify marketing so they can grow with less stress. Tim, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you. Really bummed that we can't do this in person, but it gave us the opportunity to do it online. So thank you, COVID, for that, for connecting us in this weird, awkward way. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you having me, Ashley. I'm excited to, uh, to dig into this and chat with you. Yeah. So for all of our listeners that aren't familiar with you, tell them a little bit about this incredible first business. Was it, it, was it, yeah, it was your first business that you grew 60% a year before getting acquired. What type of business was this? So they know, and what led you to starting that company? Yeah. So I, the the first business that I was involved with was a wholesale distribution company. So we were Selling consumer electronics, so you know, home theater equipment, speakers, you know, TVs. Uh, we were selling distributed audio, anything for you know that you think of from a home automation standpoint. Um, so it was what I was selling boy toys. You know, um, it was it was fun. It was a fantastic business. Um, and how I got into it, I was a partner in that business, so I was not the only owner in that business, but. I honestly, I fell into this, you know, so I'm not going to tell you that I had this brilliant idea and, and went into it. Um, I, when I graduated from college, I had no idea what the heck I was going to do. And my dad had been an entrepreneur for years. He had two separate companies, but they were very related. One of those companies was the distribution company and he had started it about a year or so before I graduated and he had no full-time employees in the company at that time. And I graduated from college and I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I know you need some help. Let me help you for three months, you know, over the summer. And, you know, it'll give me some time to figure out what I want to do. And, you know, it'll help you at the same time. And he said, sure, let's do it. And so three months later, I was hooked. And I'm like, man, I don't want to go anywhere. I love this. Um, If you, you know, are open to having me continue to do this, then I'd love to do this. And he said, yeah, let's, you're helping me a ton. Let's do it. And so I ended up managing the distribution company from a day-to-day basis. I was the first full-time employee. And by the time we sold it, you know, we had three three locations in Northern California. We had about 25 employees. So it was a real-world MBA as far as I'm concerned. I learned more doing that in three months than I did in four years of college. And I just Soaked up information like a sponge. I just, I loved it. And it was a, it was an amazing experience to be a part of. I cannot tell you how many people I have heard very similar things from that Mm. they learned so much more from being in the trenches of starting a business than they ever have or could have from taking an MBA. And I actually was brought in to guest speak at a couple of universities for their MBA programs in regards to marketing. And it was just mind blowing, you know, taking time after class and talking with all these students and then following people through their careers and just hearing over and over and over and over again that although it was great for networking, they did not get out of it what they had anticipated. And when they went to go launch their companies, they were incredibly lost. They had tiny puzzle pieces of information, but not everything. So it's so incredible. Um, You know, just that famous saying of, as an entrepreneur, you build the plane on your way down. And I'm just a really firm believer in that. And hopefully with Action Mavens, we can help solve for a lot of those issues um, on building winning teams and all of that. But that's an incredible story. And thank you so much for sharing that. You grew a a decent sized team. Were you solely responsible for helping with that? Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, building that team for that brand. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, like I said, I was the first full-time employee. So in the beginning, um, and I was doing everything. I was doing some of the accounting stuff. I was 
collecting. I was paying bills. I was shipping product. I was selling. You know, it was it was just me. I was a one man band. But as we as we started to grow, we had to we had to hire people and bring people on board. And that um, that was that was a huge learning experience too. You know, I mean, I hadn't managed people. Um, I had to you know learn as I learn as I went. And uh, you know, I certainly made some mistakes, but uh, I. I learned from those too, you know, it was, I, the thing that's so hard about when you start to, every time you hire somebody, you are adding another wheel in the, in the cog and it just adds another level of complexity. And, you know, you have to figure out how to make all these people mesh and work together as a team. And so, you know, I learned as I, as I went, you know, we were fortunate to hire some really good people. And, you know, I always took the approach of, you know, we're not just hiring employees. They're not, you know, expendable. They're, you know, they're part of this team and they need to take meaning from, from what we're doing. And if they do, they're, they're going to be a great con- contributor and, and we're going to build a really solid team. Because, you know, when it comes down to it, if you don't have, if you don't have a good team, you, you're not going to be able to accomplish much. Yeah, there's too many entrepreneurs for y'all. All you guys listening out there, it's almost a conversation of every podcast that we have, the importance of building a winning team. Now, does that mean that everybody has to be full-time? No, but what it does mean is that you will spread yourself way too thin and you'll burn out way too fast without having an incredible team. And hiring the wrong people can make a really big really big impact on on your overall business and um I'm pretty sure every entrepreneur out there has made the mistake of hiring the wrong person at some point or another, every business owner, whether you're big or small, uh, it happens. I'm personally a really big advocate of, you know, referrals from friends and family and also utilizing something called 16 personalities. Have you ever heard of that before? I have not. So I'm obsessed. Um, (laughs) It's an incredible platform that um, takes you through a series of tests. It's free. It's about 20 minutes long. And you actively answer questions about yourself. And then it takes that data and it puts you into a category of certain types of people. And there's 16 different personality types. And each personality type will describe you literally like a book. So as long as you answer the questions truthfully, um, everybody that I know and everybody on my team that I've had take this test is like, this is insane. This is really creepy. How do how, how does this website know literally everything about me? And um, that information is used, at least how I use it, and I think businesses should use it, is to help inspire and properly assign certain things to their team members. So for example, if, you know, someone's personality type, they really need praise and they need to be micromanaged, um, then I know that they they need a lot more like defined direction and follow up and that they need to be praised and, you know, giving them a bonus or birthday present or whatever it is that's what they respond really well to. Um, And so it just really helps give people what they need. It's almost like the love language for, for business ownership in a way. And it's even really great for friends and personal relationships too. So you can understand like, okay, this person is very introverted and they need their quiet time or this person's extroverted and they're going to work better, you know, in a group setting with a team. Um, This is a really, really powerful. It's about, um, not just about having the right people, it's about having the right people in the right seats, you know, the right positions. And I think one of the things that always helped me that I think a lot of people miss when they're hiring people is I believe you should hire for culture and fit first and skills last. Okay. Because you can teach people the skills. It's, it's those intangible things about them that you can't, that can't be taught that you, you need to hire for those, you know? So if the position requires somebody to be detail oriented, well, they need to have that because I don't, I've never seen somebody learn how to be detail oriented. They either are or they aren't. 
Um, and so you have to hire for those intangibles that you know they need and for the fit. Because if they're not a good fit for your company, if they don't share similar values, they are not going to be a, a, a solid contributor long term. And so hiring in that frame of mind and then keeping in the back of your mind, hey, what skills are they going to need and how can I teach them those? I think you will have far better people that will be more engaged and you'll retain them longer if you hire for culture and fit first and skills last. A hundred percent. Absolutely. I completely agree. It's funny when we interview, I'll be like, um, are you a fast paced person or you tend to be slow and want to take your time? <laughs> like we're at a marketing agency, uh, vision us as a trauma center and an ER. Like that's our day to day. You have to, you know, have high octane running through your blood um, to yeah. be a good fit for the brand. That's just the culture. And, um, you know, we talk about taking every federal holiday off and um all sorts of really fun things. And so I, I, I totally agree on the culture fit being really important. Um, we also found that for certain roles, people do need to have somewhat of a strong background. Like I interviewed a girl this week, actually, who graduated from UC Berkeley, which it looks like you did as well. Um, and she yeah. majored in journalism. And I was like, okay, I know you have zero marketing background and, um, you, you know, technically on paper, you would not really be a perfect fit for this role that I'm trying to fill. But because you have this particular background, like I have the perfect job for you and I'm going to train you on everything that we do marketing wise, um, so that you can be a good fit. Cause I just know like she's really high energy and, and, um, all the other things were a great cultural fit. Um, but it did help that she had that journalism background, but I follow so many entrepreneurs even that are like, I don't care if you dropped out of high school, like you have to have the motivation and the the right cultural fit and um, really just the drive and passion behind whatever the brand is up to, to be, yep. to, to be a long-term, you know, fit for us. And nobody's trying to look for part-term, part-term anything, right? I don't want high turnover with our no. staff and, um, People want a long-term job that they can continue to grow with, which is really important. So for all those people out there listening to us, when you're hiring, um, definitely suggest 16 personalities and um, hiring for cultural fit as well. And really defining, if you don't have that defined already, really sit down and defining what that looks like, um, making sure that it, that it's a good fit there. So. Great little nugget. Totally Thank agree. You. So tell me, tell me um, one thing that we also talk about with Action Mavens is setting up for a merger and acquisition. And I can't tell you how many clients and friends and family and every entrepreneur that I know, so many of them didn't sit down and plan that from the beginning. And we're actually really big advocates of planning that from the beginning and saying, okay, when I'm doing my branding and when we're creating our target demographic and all this stuff that they have which ideal um, brands they would want to get acquired by. Tell me a little bit about what that process was like. Did they randomly reach out to you? Were you guys seeking? Um, did you plan it from the beginning? Yeah. So for us, it wasn't necessarily something that we planned from the beginning. Um, we And it was kind of, a, it was an interesting deal because when we were acquired, we weren't, we weren't the only company that was acquired at the same time. So we, our distribution company was strictly selling in the Northern California market, but we had other relationships with other distributors, just like ours in other markets across the country. And so in the, in the late nineties, we actually banded together and formed another company um, that allowed us, you know, so there was there, 13 different distributor partners within the, that larger company. And it allowed us to go to some really large manufacturers that we probably would have had a very difficult time sell, getting them to sell us, uh, sell to us individually. But because we were able to go to them and say, hey, we can offer you nationwide distribution into this market, which the market we were selling into was, was a lot of contractors. 
they were very hard to find. They didn't advertise. They were hard. It was hard, basically impossible for a manufacturer to effectively call on mar- on our market. It was very well served by distribution. And so when we could give them that instant distribution across the country, we were doing a lot of training. We could give them tons of exposure. They said, absolutely, we want part of this. So when we got acquired, we were approached by, it was actually a, a you know public company, and it was easier for them to buy their way into our market than to start from scratch. And so they bought all 13 of us, of, of us, rolled us up into one company. So it was kind of, it was different than just buying one company. But what, one of the things that I, I will tell you a few things that I learned from that whole process. Um, one is that if you, if you ever want to sell your company and you want to sell it, or as much value as you possibly can, you have to figure out a way that your company is not dependent on you as an owner. There are so many businesses that are, they're successful, but they are heavily dependent on the owner. You pull the owner out of that company and it would not run. And that is of no value to somebody else. So I think early on, you have to figure out how you are going to pull yourself out of the various processes that need to happen within your business and plug other people in. You have to have documented systems and procedures to, and to pull yourself out. That doesn't mean that you can't be heavily involved in the company, and I think you should. You can just find where your highest and best use it lies and spend your time there, but you need to set it up in such a way that if you step away, it still runs. It still makes money. Um, the other thing, too, from a sales standpoint, I, Look, I'm not a, I'm not an accountant, obviously, but I think so many business owners try to maximize the, the 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 money that they pull from the company. And if you want to sell your company for as much money as possible, there and you're pulling too money out, too much money out to pay yourself uh, to reduce your taxes. Uh, when people look at your financials, they're not going to see any profits. And typically, most companies get bought on a multiple of earnings. So if you, early on, if you want to pull as much money out, okay, that's fine. But you need to have an idea of when you want to sell and start to think about how you can start showing more profits so that you can sell your company for more money. I think there's a balance there. I you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't pull as much out and show no profit and expect somebody to pay a bunch of money for your company. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's definitely a balancing act for sure. It's like, okay, how do we make sure that we're that there's a there's a brand that I follow called Clever Profits, and they have some incredible value for free, um, and they have some paid stuff too. And I'm probably going to totally butcher this. So apologies, because I am not an accountant or anywhere close to a CPA. I do not do math um, unless it's calculating fun things for marketing without boring you guys. But um, yeah, they have some incredible value. And I believe, again, going to butcher this, that they shared to try to spend, to leave 20%. Um, and just and they and they give direction on how much to put towards marketing and how much to put towards this and how much to put towards that while you're in the like maintain phase and then while you're in the grow phase and then when you're setting up for like a merger acquisition phase because it is really important that your financials look good but at the same time when you're in these different phases you want to make sure that you're spending a good amount of, you're not holding on to it, scared to spend it because you want it to look like you're making all this money, you still need to invest in growth and build teams and spend money on marketing so that you can drive more revenue and all of this other fun stuff. So it's definitely a balancing act and highly, highly advise seeking, you know, even a consultant to look over everything and give you guys advice because there's just, it's so easy to make one wrong mistake and be on a one track path of, okay, I want to make sure that I spend all my money on marketing and all this other stuff so that I don't have to pay as much in taxes and we can focus on growth, but then you don't show that overall revenue. And then you get like nothing when someone wants to acquire you and you're like, okay, I'm ready to be done with this company and I want to move on to the next one. So there's a lot to consider when it comes to entrepreneurship. It is mind blowing. Um, I could 
probably sit here and interview experts and have them teach classes for a hundred (laughs) years, every hour on the hour. And I feel like it probably wouldn't be enough information, Um, but hopefully we can get a lot of value to um, the entrepreneurs out there. And I really do wish that there was more of a easy guide for people to follow, or we could just download all the data that we need like via Elon Musk's Neuralink or something, Um, because it's insane how much information we have to know and how easy, not to deter anybody that's thinking about starting a business, how easy it is to, you know, do one little thing wrong and then be like, oh, shoot, Uh, now I owe a bunch of money in taxes or, oh, I really shouldn't have been taking money into my personal bank account or I didn't know I needed an EIN number. Like there's so many things I've seen over the years. It's insane. I have shared this a lot, but I will share it with you. Um, you know, I've had clients that open up new restaurants and they didn't do their due diligence and they ended up getting a cease and desist letter and it cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars to go through the process to completely rebrand like a week after opening. Um, because they didn't do that due diligence because they didn't know better. Right. It's, I have this idea, I'm going to make this happen. Um, the information online, no fault to them, is inconsistent and it's disorganized. And whether you end up on the SBA website or um, even some more of these notable platforms, like people just don't know to follow the steps and they miss these really important steps. So that's why I'm really passionate about this podcast is like having these little nuggets that we can drop and be like, hey, <laughs> when you're thinking about getting acquired, don't spend all your money. I know you don't want to, you know, I, w- I know you guys want to spend a certain percentage on marketing, but make sure that you're not, uh, you know, leaving your bank account dry because you're not going to get acquired for, for anything. And then also a great point that you had was making sure that the entrepreneur isn't, it's, obvious that you can't be an individual person and get acquired for most people, but the processes and the scopes of work and everything need to be in place. Because if you leave and then an employee that knows how to run the company gets let go, guess what? What's going to happen after that? Like there's no value there for anybody that wants to acquire you. So that was some great pieces of advice as well. So after getting acquired, what did you do next? I actually worked for the company for another three years. So I had a three-year contract uh, with them. And so um, I worked with them actually through 2008 and then early 2008. And then I actually, my wife and I actually moved from Northern California to the Denver, Colorado area at that point. And I took a job with uh, the company there because we had multiple locations in, in Colorado at that point. And so I, I, you know, at that point I had a, you know, I, I had a job. I wasn't an entrepreneur at that point. I was just working for somebody that actually had actually bought us. And, but in 2009, I actually ended up getting laid off. Um, you know, we all know what happened in 2008 and we got acquired by a public company and they started freaking out quite a bit about what was happening with the economy. And they, in 2009, they closed 30% of the branch locations that we had across the country. And I got laid off. And I, I, tell, my, I, tell, I tell my wife that they did me a favor because uh, I was not enjoying what I was doing at that point. You know, so they kind of forced my hand to, to figure out what my next step was going to be. And so uh, when I got laid off, I, you know, I was fortunate to be in a position where I wasn't, you know, I didn't come home telling my pregnant wife that, uh, I had no idea how we were going to make money and I wasn't sure how we were going to make our mortgage payments the following month. I wasn't in that position, fortunately. So I had some time and I, I thought about, you know, some of the things that I had enjoyed. I mean, being in the distribution business was the only thing I had known professionally at that point. So it was a pretty big shift for me, but I had always been interested in, in residential real estate, investing in real estate. And, you know, so I said, look, I'm just, I'm going to become a realtor, you know, and, and learn the business that way. I think it'll be a great way to get my feet wet. And so I got into residential real estate in, in early 2010. And uh, most people that are listening are probably going, what are you thinking? Are you, are you crazy? Uh, real estate in 2010? Oh, my God. <clears throat> but I've always thought that there's opportunity in every market. And real estate at that point was no different. And so uh, there was a lot of people that were in 
in the middle of the foreclosure process. Their house was worth less than what they owed. And so there was a lot of short sale business going on where, you know, realtors were trying to sell a house and they were getting approval from the bank to sell it for less than it was worth. And so I, you know, I, I was door knocking houses for people that were in foreclosure. And uh, that's how I initially built built that business. Um, and I was, you know, I, I'm not going to tell you it was easy. I was putting myself outside of my comfort zone every single day. Um, but I learned a ton doing it. I just got to a point about two, two and a half years in where I was like, man, I, I don't like this. I'm not enjoying this process. Um, you know, I, I, I've told a few people in the last week or two, I was reading an email about, uh, a guy who was talking about the Sunday evening effect where like Sunday evening, you can't stay in your job and you start, you know, you get this pit in your stomach and you're like, Oh my God, I've got to, I got to go to work tomorrow. I am not, I'm dreading this. Well, I had that feeling every day when I woke up. I'm like, I got to do this over again. I can't stand this. And that's when I kind of put the brakes on and said, uh, why am I owning my own business that I can't stand going to every day? This is not, this is not worth it. I need to shift gears again. What led you to the next thing? So I, you know, the next, Thing. I, again, I took a little bit of time to really figure out, you know, I had gone from such a high in the distribution business to, you know, a low in real estate, uh, not liking it. Uh, you know, I thought I was going to, I didn't. Um, I, I took some time, you know, one of my mentors said that success starts with a list. So I broke out a list and I just started writing down things that I loved about what I was doing when I was in distribution and, and the the things that I didn't and the things that I loved when I, when I was in real estate and the things that I didn't and what my, what I thought my skill sets were, what I enjoyed doing and coming out of that, I thought, well, gosh, you know, there was at the time, this was like late 2012. There was, um, there was a lot going on with mobile applications in, you know, the SMB space and just mobile applications in general were becoming pretty hot. And so I saw an opportunity there, and that's when I started, you know, my, my company Rialto Marketing that I'm that I'm doing now. And initially, we were only selling mobile applications into primarily into the K twelve education space. So we, you know, schools were using it as a communication tool with their with their their stakeholders, their parents, students. You know, if you've ever tried to go to a school website on your mobile device, it's a pretty large disaster. And mobile applications helped solve that problem, and it gave them another avenue to communicate with their with their community. And so that's what I, that's how I initially started that, um, you know. But I obviously that's not exactly what I'm doing today with Rialto Marketing because I had to shift again. Uh, the the entrepreneurial journey is not a straight path, right? Hundred percent. So I, uh, you know, in trying to remember exactly when this was it was about four years ago apple updated their publishing guidelines for apple app developers and i was we were building our apps on a an app building platform so you know if any of you are familiar with you know a wix or a squarespace or a weebly for for website building we were building on an app platform you know very similar to that um it's drag and drop and everything you need is there. Well, Apple said, you know what? Uh, we don't, we don't, we're not liking these apps that are being put out. If you're building on a pl app platform, we're, we're not going to approve them anymore, basically. And so, you know, there were all kinds of app building platforms and their resellers, you know, their customers were basically shut down overnight. And, you know, fortunately, you know, within a couple months, things got changed. Apple adjusted their guidelines, but but it was still a lot harder to get apps published at that point. And I, you know, going through that experience, I said to myself, "Man, this is um, this is really eye opening because my business is heavily dependent on the, the policies of Apple and Google." Um, you know, I mean, my my, if they change something, my business could literally shut down overnight. Um, and that's a very vulnerable place to be. 
You know, if we bring this into into uh, today's terms, right? What, what did we just see happen in the last three or four weeks with Trump's Twitter account? <laughs> Don't like it. Shut down, right? And all of a sudden, now he's scrambling to try and find something else. Or, you know, this parlor app that got Apple shut them down, Google shut them down, Amazon Web Services said, we're not hosting your app anymore. They were out of business overnight. And what happened to my business at that point was fairly similar. And I said, I need to shift gears because I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't have my livelihood dependent that much on the policies of other companies. And so that's when I decided to to shift gears into what we're doing now, which is offering much more comprehensive marketing services where we can be an outsourced marketing partner or department for our clients and and really take on that role of being their marketing partner and and let them focus on what they do best. Yeah, I um I'm actually in Clubhouse. We pre-talked about this before the podcast, so super excited to yeah. jump into it. But I'm actually on Clubhouse and it's a conversation that gets brought up on the stage every single day with marketers because I'm in a lot of marketing groups. I own a marketing agency. Um, In addition to Action Mavens, it's actually my bread and butter business that I launched in 2014. And um, so I'm part of all these major marketing and networking groups and they're talking about it constantly because it's a very vulnerable state that you can put your business in if you're relying on one specific platform. And there's so many changes that are happening right now between Apple and Facebook and what um, you know Google is doing with SEO. I mean, granted, we're all super used to Google changing yeah. things up. That's that's nothing new, but th- there are a lot of things that are coming, um, you know, with privacy and regulations and platforms really taking a political stance and all these crazy things that are happening. And the biggest topic of conversation on these platforms is diversify, diversify, diversify. You cannot rely on one single channel. Don't rely on just having a website. Don't rely on just having a mobile app. Don't rely on just being on Facebook or, you know, really banking on the fact that you now have 500 million followers on TikTok. Like you can't just rely on one platform anymore. Like congratulations, you were successful. That's awesome. Um, We've had a couple clients that just did incredible with their websites through just SEO optimization. That's it. It was all 100% organic and, um, you know, couple minor changes and their sales are next to nothing now. And it's just really sad because that they've relied on one channel. They were not doing any sort of social media marketing. They were doing nothing. And now they're like scrambling to be able to make the changes and keep Google happy and then get on all these other platforms. And it's just wild, uh, the changes that we're seeing. And even with Facebook not being able to track uh, the pixel as far as we used to be able to. And all of these changes are so crazy. And I'm so thankful for Clubhouse. Um, little shout out to the Clubhouse platform for being able to connect with these geniuses, for lack of a better world, uh, word, from all over the world who have insider experience on things that are happening and things that are changing. And they're sharing their expertise and their value on suggestions of what to do to move forward. And a big topic of conversation is really just, again, to diversify yourself across countless platforms and not to pigeonhole yourself, which is actually really interesting um, because we've heard for years that you should really just focus on one platform. And and I never believe that, but that's what people would say. One platform and specialize in one particular niche, right? If you're a marketing agency, only do restaurants. Well, guess what? If I was a marketing agency that only did restaurants, yeah. where would I be right now? I would be on the street, not literally, but you get what I'm yeah. saying, right? Like totally you, it. It, it, there's so much information out there that unfortunately has led people into the wrong direction. And I'm just always and will be a big fan of diversification and having a wide net versus um, being narrow because that's just where people fail. I have, you know, a med spa client that I love to pieces, but they only have a handful of services. And guess what? Those services are not being used right now thanks to COVID. 
And it's just really yeah. sad because they were told to, um, you know, niche down and have one specific specialty. And now they're, now they're struggling versus where they were doing before. So it's really interesting. There, there are ways that you can niche down and specialize while still diversifying. You know, it's, um, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. It's just, I mean, having an, taking an omni-channel approach and generating leads from multiple channels is so important. You know, it's, you were talking about a client who all their, their leads were coming in from organic SEO through their website. Well, to me, that's like riding a unicycle and the <laughs> tire just went flat yep. and now they can't get anywhere. Well, if you're riding a four-wheeler, you know, or you're, you know, a semi, right? And you got all these wheels. Well, when one of those tires goes out, you can still get to where you want to go. And that's exactly what taking an omni-channel approach to your marketing is doing. You're just saying, hey, look, I'm going to generate, I have to generate leads from multiple channels because business changes, things change. And, you know, some of these channels may dry up and we may have to shift resources somewhere else. And if you have multiple channels, you're in just you're in a you have a much more solid foundation to be able to to shift and pivot from. A hundred percent. And what's also interesting is you know launching my agency back in 2014, which we're a few years behind you. Um, <laughs> we le learned that really quick, right? Like everybody was hopping on Facebook and advertising on Facebook. And you had this younger demographic on Facebook. Well, guess what? Demographics change on platforms. So as platforms become more popular, the older demographics tend to hop on. The younger demographics tend to hop on to the next newest thing. And so the demographics change too. And so by being on the platforms early, not only do you have extra wheels, but you also have the ability to and I don't have a good analogy that relates to your, your uh, truck but um, you have the ability to grow those platforms even before they're popular when your target demographic finally hops on, which is really interesting. And then we've had clients that were just like, our ideal demographic is this. That's where we get all of our sales from. We can track. We can see that they're between this age and this age and they're male and they live in this particular area. And then they end up getting omni-channel um, marketing strategy through us and we start implementing it. And then they learn that their bigger spenders are actually the younger demographic and completely opposite to what they had. But the reason that their current demographic was that demographic was because of the channels that they were marketing on. So yeah. definitely, you know, it's insane what marketers do on a daily basis. And I think that not enough brands really understand like how analytical we can get and how much research is involved and all of the other like crazy components that come into play. But definitely agree with you. Um, you can niche down and and uh, still cast the wide net if you do it strategically for sure. Um, but back yeah. to back to Clubhouse. Um, are you on Clubhouse yet? I'm not. I'm an Android user. <sighs> All right. Well, I have some invites. So when I get the word that um, they launch for Android, I will shoot one over to you so you can jump into the conversations because I think it would be incredible to have you on yeah. some of these um, in some of these rooms. So there's for those of you listening, Clubhouse is a new social media platform. The way that I describe it to people is it's as if a conference and a podcast had a baby. So the way that it works is you can follow a bunch of people. Let's say you you know, have some people in your industry that you love to follow on a current podcast or whatever it is. Maybe you look up to Gary Vaynerchuk, for example, and you can follow all these people um, and friends and family as well. And they'll create rooms around specific topics, just like you would at a conference. And then you can join as an attendee so you have the major people that are on stage that are talking about these planned topics during a planned time. And it's not video. It's just voice like a podcast. And it's live. And then you have the floor where the attendees can listen in. But they can raise their hand and the speakers can call on the attendee, very much like a conference 
which you can't do on a podcast. Like I wish for those of you listening later that you could raise your hand and we can call on you, but you can't. So it's very engaging and it's very interactive and it's a great way to network and be able to be invited when you raise your hand as a speaker up onto the floor with people that you idolize and the networking capabilities within this platform and being able to connect with people from all over the world has proven valuable. I've only been on the platform for about a week and a half and the connections that I've been able to create and um, just the value of information that I've been able to absorb has been incredible. And prior to us going live, we were talking a little bit about how much of a time suck it can be. And so fair warning, there are people that will plan to be live for a week at a time. And they literally just rotate their speakers. So the speakers will remain on the floor. You'll have like 20, 40 speakers on the stage and they'll remain on the stage and then they'll mute. Everybody's got their mics muted unless they're talking. And they'll assign moderators and they'll literally just take a schedule as if it were like a work shift. And they'll moderate, but they'll stay in the room, but they're really like taking a nap or or at work taking conference call and they'll just rotate so that they can stay in the hallway, which is like your newsfeed essentially on Clubhouse. And there's these people that will will stay in the rooms the whole, not the whole time, but like they'll stay in the rooms for like 12 hours, 16 hours. There's people that were like, yeah, I've been on for the last, uh, I don't know, gosh, it's been like 18 hours now. I haven't slept. It's not healthy. Um, it's very addicting (laughs) because they want us, you know, they want to stay connected and they don't want to miss anything because these rooms, once they're closed, they're closed. There's no repeating of information. There's nothing like once it's done, it's disappeared and you have to try to find another group and hopefully they talk about the same things and the same value. So people are, people are working with one ear pod in and they're, you know, multitasking and they're uh, ignoring their friends and family. Like someone was like, yeah, I've got a podcast or I've got this uh, AirPod in right now and I'm eating dinner. Sorry. Can you guys just hold on one second? I'll I'll get back to your question in a minute. And it's just like, they're legitimately (laughs) trying to moderate rooms while they're having dinner with their friends and family. And it's just, it's mind blowing how much of a time suck it can be. Um, But it's also from what I've heard and from what I've personally found really valuable platform and it's great for your personal brand. This is not a place for brands to come in and be like, we offer, you know, XYZ marketing services. No, it's, we fell flat on our face when we first started. Here's the mistakes that we made. Here's how to fix it. Or here's what's going on in the industry or COVID happened. And we were a Acaibo company and we could have failed, but instead of doing that, we found investors who believed that COVID's going to end at some point and we're sucking up all the best locations right now in LA. So it's really inspiring to listen to and they've had some great content. So once that Android uh, <laughs> opportunity opens, I definitely want to invite you in so you can check it out. It's It's been a whirlwind. Oh, I, I appreciate that. So when we look at any of your, any of your businesses, this is one of my favorite questions to ask. Um, and it's the, you know, biggest, biggest value drop I feel in the podcast that we have. What's one thing that you wish you knew before starting one of your companies? I would say to don't reinvent the wheel. There are all kinds of examples, frameworks, systems out there that have worked for other businesses just like yours. Um, don't feel like you have to start from the from the base, you know, and, and create your own. There's so many frameworks that work. You just have to find the ones that, that make sense for you, that you understand, that you can implement, and then implement those you know so why start why start uh from ground zero when you don't have to what would be um just to kind of extend on that a little bit what suggestion would you have for them to find out how to get that information so they don't have to start from scratch because there's so many people 
that are like, okay, I have this. I'm, I'm just thinking of a lash brand because I talked to one earlier. Um, I have this idea to start a, a lash company. I want to do eyelash extensions for people. They, there's no real blueprint from as far as what I found that people could really buy. So what suggestion would you have for them um, on how they could avoid reinventing a, a you know, wheel when they don't have the, to? So that's the, it's easy to say that. It's it's a lot harder to do, Yeah. right? To find those frameworks. To me, it's about, it's about networking, getting out there, talking to people, meeting people, because there are, so it's a, a lash company. Well, and they, it may be unique, but there's all kinds of people that have, have done product-based companies, and you can apply the same things that they have learned to what you are doing. Maybe the market's a little bit different, but the the fundamentals, the principles are the same. You know, the fundamentals in any discipline don't change. They're they're the you know hitting a baseball, how to hit a baseball. The fundamentals of how to hit a baseball. Were the same are the same today as they were 50 years ago, and they're going to be the same 50 years from now. So find the people that have already been where you are, and start to talk to those people. Yeah, I'm a really big advocate for connecting yourself with other entrepreneurs. I mm-hmm. talked about it. I think it was our last podcast actually um, with Catherine Jacobs, and we were just talking about the power of entrepreneurship and how. It's really a family once you get to know all of the right people and it opens so many doors and so many people will, the other entrepreneurs will be like, I only give my business to other entrepreneurs that I'm connected to. My CPAs, my friend, the restaurants I go to are owned by my friends. Like it's a very, very, very supportive network. And we have discussed this several times about how entrepreneurship can also be a, a way of therapy and it and it's just such a powerful thing and too many people I think hide behind their computers and are self-conscious about asking people for help or feeling like they're going to sound like an MLM because there's so much negativity around MLMs right now um, and yeah. there have been for a while and so people are really scared to put themselves out there and connect with other people and ask for help and create those powerful connections. So for those of you listening, definitely love that advice on connecting with other entrepreneurs and getting their advice on, you know, if they don't need to have launched a lash brand, they could have launched some other service-based business and they can give you some advice and some direction. And for all of you, shameless plug here for all of you guys listening, that's our major overall goal with Action Mavens. Um, You had shared a quote earlier that six, success um, starts with a list. And it's our free 30-step checklist that we have on actionmavens.com. It starts with a list and it's following that list and that guideline through the plan, launch, grow, and maintain phases of your business that I'm just such a big advocate for. Every business needs to follow these particular steps and this particular blueprint. And it's my life mission and I, so I love that you like randomly happened to share uh, the fact that everybody doesn't need to reinvent the wheel and that there's blueprint out, blueprints out there. I haven't been able to find one, so I created one. And we're, it's my life mission to be able to launch additional modules that are industry specific, be it a restaurant, a retail location, a marketing agency, realtors, um, any major industry SaaS product. Um, any major industry will have those tack-on modules where like, okay, you want to start a retail business, let's talk about LOIs. Like this is what you need to know specifically for retail or specifically for restaurants. Um, so yeah, so that's my like life purpose and my super passion project. <laughs> and I'm so excited about it and I can't wait to start recording them again. We actually had to stop recording because of COVID. So we're going to start recording those classes again here, and I cannot wait to get the content out so that we can provide these steps so people that don't, people don't miss the vital steps um, that they need to follow. And like I shared, it's so easy to, uh, to try to give somebody the whole book, but there's never going to be a complete book of entrepreneurship because there's just way too much information. We would need to, you know, create some sort of crazy AI 
algorithm, supercomputer or something to be able to uh, teach everybody all of that information all at once for it's unlimited data we can provide. So love that. Love, love, love that. So one other thing that we normally do, and I'm still trying to figure out how to structure this, (laughs) considering it's not in person, um, but we used to have this really fun setup for our podcast. We would set up cupcakes and we'd have um, all of our guests either bring their favorite mug in or select one of our mugs that we had. So instead of um, asking you which mug you have because you don't have one in front of you, I want to ask you <laughs> if you ha- happen to have one cool. If not, um, what's what's your like favorite quote or mantra that you live by? Josh, my favorite quote or mantra, I, I have a lot of them. Um, but what I will tell you, one of my favorite quotes um, is from, it's actually, uh, Christopher Robin talking to, to Winnie the Pooh. And he said, you're braver than you believe, stronger than you seem and smarter than you think. Because the, um, the entrepreneurial journey, as we talked about is it's a winding road and you got to be able to, to push through your roadblocks. And, uh, that's always been a quote that has helped me just remind me that I have what I, I have everything I need within me to just keep pushing through and getting to where I want to be. That resonates with me. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I think it's a great way to end our conversation, but before we go, I would love for you to share a little bit about your company and just what you do and how people can connect with you. Yeah, sure. And I thank you for that. I appreciate it. The best place to connect with uh, with us is at our website, which is rialtomarketing.com. So it's R-I-A-L-T-O marketing.com. Um, I'll give you a link. I've got some special resources for, for your From Concept Company listeners that really focus on the marketing fundamentals, which I think is so, so important. So many people skip the fundamentals and they wonder why their marketing isn't working and inevitably it, it can all be traced back to, to fundamentals that were skipped. So, you know, what we do is, you know, we primarily work with service-based businesses, coaches, consultants, professional service providers, you know, home, home service businesses. So contractors, that kind of those types of businesses, but we help them simplify marketing by focusing on the fundamentals and then helping them create and implement a plan to communicate the right message to the right people. That's, that's what marketing is all about. And so many people miss that and it, it doesn't help them. And, you know, to me, you can, you're never going to grow a company if your marketing is not solid and in place. You can have the best product or service in the world. And if you don't have marketing, bringing in leads and new customers, none of that matters. So that's what we do. That's how we help people. And, uh, if they want to learn more, they can pop on over to our website. Happy to chat. We do a free consult and, you know, we'll help give you some, some outside eyes on where you should be focusing your marketing right now to get the best return. Perfect. So we'll put a direct link to that in the bio of this podcast. You guys can easily click on that when you're done listening. Um, thank you so much for all the value that you added today. And uh, we look forward to potentially having you on again in the future. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ashley. It was fun.